0: Chapter forty six of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter forty six. The first Sunday that Juliet passed in this new situation nearly robbed her of the good will of the whole of the little community to which she belonged. It was the only day in the week in which the young workwomen were allowed some hours for recreation. They considered it, therefore, as rightfully dedicated, after the church service, to amusement with one another. And Juliet, in refusing to join in a custom which they held to be the basis of their freedom and happiness, appeared to them an unsocial and haughty innovator. Yet neither wearying remonstrances nor persecuting persuasions could prevail upon her to parade with them upon the stein, to stroll with them by the seaside, to ramble upon the downs, or to form a party for Shoreham or Devil's Dyke. Evil is so relative, that the same chamber, the lonely sadness of which, since her privation of Gabriella, had become nearly insupportable to her, was now, from a new contrast, almost all that she immediately coveted. The bustle, the fatigue, the obtrusion of new faces, the spirit of petty intrigue, and the eternal clang of tongues which she had to endure in the shop made quiet, even in its most uninteresting dullness, desirable and consoling. To approach herself, as nearly as might be in her power, to the loved society which she had lost, she destined this only interval of peace and leisure to her pen and Gabriella, and such was her employment when the sound of slow steps upon the stairs, followed by a gentle tap at her door, at once interrupted and surprised her. Miss Matson and her maids, as well as her workwomen, were spending their sabbath abroad, and a shopman was left to take care of the house. The tap, however, was repeated, and, obeying its call, Juliet beheld Sir Jasper Harrington, the gouty old baronet. The expression of her countenance immediately demanded explanation, if not apology, as she stepped forward upon the landing-place, to make clear that she should not receive him in her apartment. His keen eye read her meaning, though, affecting not to perceive it, he pleasantly said, "'How, immured in your chamber, and of a gala day!' The recollection of the essential however forced obligation, which she owed to him, from her deliverance from the persecution of Miss Biddle, soon dissipated her first impression in his disfavour, and she quietly answered that she went very little abroad. But when she would have inquired into his business, "'You can refuse yourself, then,' he cried, pretending not to hear her, "'the honour—or pleasure, which shall we call it Of sharing in the gaieties of your fair fellow votaries to the needle? I suspected you of this self-denial. I had a secret presentiment that you would be insensible to the fluttering joys of your sister spinsters. How did I divine you so well? What is it you have about you that sets one's imagination so to work?" Juliet replied that she would not presume to interfere with the business of his penetration but that, as she was occupied, she must beg to know, at once, his commands. "'Not so hasty, not so hasty,' he cried. "'You must show me some little consideration, if only an excuse for the total want of it which you have caused in those little imps that beset my slumbers by night, and my reveries by day. They have gotten so much the better of me now, that I am equally at a loss how to sleep or how to wake for them.' Why don't you find out, they cried, whether this siren likes her new situation? Why don't you discover whether anything better can be done for her?" And then, all of one accord, they so pommel and bemaul me, that you would pity me, I give you my word, if you could see the condition into which they put my poor conscience. However little so fair a young creature may be disposed to feel pity, for such a hobbling, gouty old fellow as I am. Softened by this benevolent solicitude, Juliet, thankfully, spoke of herself with all the cheerfulness that she could assume. And encouraged by her lessened reserve, Sir Jasper, to her unspeakable surprise, said, "'There is one point I own which I have an extreme desire to know. How long may it be that you have left the stage, and from what latent cause?' No explanation, however, could be attempted. The attention of Juliet was called into another channel, by the sound of a titter, which led her to perceive Flora Pearson, who, almost convulsed with delight at having surprised them, said that she had heard, from the shopman, that Miss Ellis and Sir Jaspar were talking together upon the stairs, and she had stolen up the back way, and crept softly through one of the garrets, on purpose to come upon them unawares. So now! she added, nodding,—'We'll go into my room, if you please, Miss Ellis, for I have got something else to tell you, only you must not stay with me long.' "'And not to tell me, too?' cried Sir Jasper, chucking her under the chin. "'How is this, my daffodil, my pink, my lily? How is this? Surely you have not any secrets for me?' "'Oh, yes, I have, Sir Jasper, because you're a gentleman, you know, Sir Jasper, and one must not tell everything to a gentleman,' Mamma says." Mamma says, but you are too much a woman to mind what mamma says, I hope, my Rose, my Daisy," cried Sir Jasper, checking her again under the chin, while she smiled and curtsied in return. Juliet would have re-entered her chamber, but Flora, catching her gown, said, "'Why now, Miss Ellis, I bid you come to my room, if you please. Miss Ellis, cause then I can show you my presence, as well as tell you something.' Come, will you go, for it's something that's quite a secret, I assure you, for I have not told it to anybody yet, not even to our young ladies, for it's but just happened. So you've got my first confidence this time, and you have a right to take that very kind of me, for it's what I've promised, upon my word and honour, and as true as true can be, not to tell anybody, not so much as to a living soul." To be freed quietly from the baronet, Juliet consented to attend her and flora with many smiles and nods at sir jaspar begged that he would not be affronted that she did not tell all her secrets to gentlemen and shutting him out began her tale now i'll tell you what it is i am going to tell you miss ellis do you know who i met just now upon the Steyne while i was walking with our young ladies not thinking of anything you can't guess can you why sir lyle himself i gave such a squeak but he spoke to all our young ladies first, and I was half a mind to cry, only I happened to be in one of my laughing fits. And when I once am upon my gig, Papa says, if the world were all to tumble down, it would not hinder me of my smiling. Though I am sure I often don't know what it's for. If anybody asked me, I could not tell one time in twenty. But Sir Lyle's is very clever, cleverer than I am by half, I believe, for he got to speak to me at last, so as nobody could hear a word he said, but just me nor I could not, either, but only he spoke quite in my ear. And do you think it right, Miss Pearson, to let gentlemen whisper you? Oh, I could not bid him not, you know. I could not be rude to a knight-baronet. Besides, he said he was come down from London, on purpose for nothing else but to see me. A knight-baronet, Miss Ellis! That's very good-natured, is it not? I dare say he means something by it, don't you?' However, I shall know more by-and-by, most likely, for he whispered me to make believe I'd got a headache, and to come home by myself, and wait for him in my own room, for he says he has brought me the prettiest present that ever I saw from London, so you see how generous he is, in and he'll bring it me himself to make me a little visit, so then very likely he'll speak out, won't he? But he bid me tell it nobody, so say nothing if you see him, for it will only be the way to make him angry.' I must not put the shopman in the secret, he says, for he shall only ask for old Sir Jaspar, and he shall go to him first, and make the shopman think he is with him all the time. So I told our young ladies I'd got a headache, sure enough. But don't be uneasy, for it's only make-believe, for I'm very well. Filled with alarm for the simple, deluded maiden, Juliet now made an undisguised representation of her danger, earnestly charging her not to receive the dangerous visit. But Flora, self-willed, though good-natured, would not hear a word. No ass so meek, no mule so obstinate. She never contradicted, yet never listened. She never gave an opinion, yet never followed one. She was neither endowed with timidity to suspect her deficiencies, nor with sense to conceive how she might be better informed. She came to Juliet merely to talk and when her prattle was over or interrupted she had no thought but to be gone oh yes i must see him miss ellis she cried for you can't think how ill he'll take it if i don't but now we have stayed talking together so long i can't show you my presence till he is gone for fear he should come but don't mind for then i shall have the new ones to show you too but if i don't do it he bids me he'll be as angry as can be for all he's my lover smiling he makes very free with me sometimes, only I don't mind it, because I'm pretty much used to it from one or another. Sometimes he'll say I'm the greatest simpleton that ever he knew in his life, for all he calls me his angel. He don't make much ceremony with me, when I don't understand his signs. But it don't much signify, for the more he's angry the more he's kind when it's over. Smiling. And then he brings me prettier things than ever, so I ain't much a loser. I've no great need to cry about it, and he says I'm quite a little goddess often and often if I'd believe him. Only one must not believe the men overmuch when they are gentlemen, I believe." Juliet, kindly taking her hand, would have drawn her into her own chamber, but they were no sooner in the passage than Flora jumped back, and shaking with laughter at her ingenuity, shut and locked herself into her room. Juliet now renounced, perforce, all thought of serving her except through the medium of Miss Matson and she was returning, much vexed, to her own small apartment, when she saw Sir Jasper, who, leaning against the banisters, seemed to have been waiting for her, step curiously forward as she opened her door, to take a view of her chamber. With quick impulse to check this liberty she hastily pushed to the door, not recollecting, till too late, that the key by which alone it was opened was on the inside. Chagrined, she repaired to Flora, telling the accident, and begging admittance. Flora, laughing with all her heart, positively refused to open the door, saying that she would rather be without company. The shopman now came upstairs, to see what was going forward, and to inquire whether Miss Pearson, who had told him that she was ill, found herself worse. Flora, hastily checking her mirth, answered that her head ached, and she would lie down, and then spoke no more. The shopman made an attempt to enter into conversation with Juliet, but she gravely requested that he would be so good as to order a smith to open the lock of her door. He ought not, he said, to leave the house in the absence of Miss Matson, but he would run the risk for the pleasure of obliging her, if she would only step down into the shop to answer the bell or the knocker. To this, in preference to being shut out of her room, she would immediately have consented, but that she feared the arrival of Sir Lyle Sycamore. She asked the shopman, therefore, if there were any objection to her waiting in the little parlour. "'None in the world,' he answered, for he had Miss Matson's leave to use it when she was out of a Sunday, and he should be very glad if Miss Ellis would oblige him with her company.' juliet declined this proposal with an air that repressed any further attempt at intimacy and the shopman returned to his post i must not i suppose the baronet then advancing said presume to offer you shelter under my roof from the inclemencies of the staircase and yet I think I may venture, without being indecorous, to mention that I am going out for my usual airing, and that you may take possession of your old apartment upon your own misanthropical terms. At all events I shall leave you the door open, place some books upon the table, take out my servants, and order that no one shall molest you." Extremely pleased by a kindness so much to her taste, Juliet would gratefully have accepted this offer but for the visit that she knew to be designed for the same apartment, which the absence of its master was not likely to prevent, as the pretense of writing a note, or his name, would suffice with Sir Lyle for mounting the stairs. Who, then, could protect Flora? Could Juliet herself come forward, when no one else remained in the house, conscious, as she could not but be, of the dishonorable views of which she also had been the object? The departure of Sir Jaspar appeared, therefore, to be big with mischief; and when he was making a leave taking bow, she almost involuntarily said, "You are forced, then, sir, to go out this morning?" Surprised and pleased, he answered, "What, have my little fairy elves given you a lesson of humanity? Nay, if so, though they should pommel and maul me for a month to come, I shall yet be their obedient humble servant. He then gave orders aloud that his carriage should be put up, saying that he had letters to write, and that his servants might go and amuse themselves for an hour or two where they pleased. Juliet now was crimsoned with shame and embarrassment. How account for thus palpably wishing him to remain in the house, or how suffer him by silence to suppose it was from a desire of his society! Her blushes astonished, yet By heightening her beauty, charmed still more than they perplexed him. To settle what to think of her might be difficult and teasing, but to admire her was easy and pleasant. He approached her, therefore, with the most flattering looks and smiles. But to avoid any mistake in his manner of addressing her, he kept his speech back, with his judgment, till he could learn her purpose. This prudential circumspection redoubled her confusion, and she hesitatingly stammered her concern that she had prevented his airing. More amazed still, but still more enchanted, to see her thus at a loss what to say, though evidently pleased that he had relinquished his little excursion, he was making a motion to take her hand, which she had scarcely perceived, when a violent ringing at the door-bell checked him and concentrated all her solicitude in the impending danger of Flora, and, in her eagerness to rescue the simple girl from ruin, she hastily said, "'Can you, Sir Jasper, forgive a liberty in the cause of humanity? May I appeal to your generosity? You will receive a visitor in a few minutes, whom I have earnest reasons for wishing you to detain in your apartment to the last moment that is possible. May I make so extraordinary a request?' Request, repeated Sir Jasper, charmed by what he considered as an opening to intimacy. Can you utter anything but commands? The most benign sprite of all Fairyland has inspired you with this gracious disposition to dup me your knight." Yet his eyes, still bright with intelligence, and now full of fanciful wonder, suddenly emitted an expression less rapturous when he distinguished the voice of sir lyle sycamore in parley with the shopman disappointment and chagrin soon took place of sportive playfulness in his countenance and muttering between his teeth oh ho sir lyle sycamore he fixed his keen eyes sharply upon juliet with a look in which she could not but read the ill-construction to which her seeming knowledge of that young man's motion, and her apparent interest in them, made her liable. And how much his light opinion of Sir Lyle's character affected his partial, though still fluctuating one, of her own. Sir Lyle, however, was upon the stairs, and she did not dare enter into any justification. Sir Jasper, too, was silent, but the young baronet mounted singing in a loud voice, O my love, lovest thou me? Then quickly come and see one who dies for thee. Yes, here I come, Sir Lyle. In a low, husky, laughing voice, cried Flora, peeping through her chamber door, which was immediately at the head of the stairs, upon the second floor, and to which Sir Lyle looked up, softly whispering, Be still, my little angel, and in ten minutes he stopped abruptly, for Sir Jasper now caught his astonished sight upon the landing-place of the attic story, with Juliet retreating behind him. "'Oh, ho, you are there, are you?' he cried in a tone of ludicrous accusation. "'And you, you are there, are you?' answered Sir Jasper, in a voice more seriously taunting. Juliet, hurt and confounded would have escaped through the garret to the back stairs, but that her hat and cloak, without which she could not leave the house, were shut into her room. She tried, therefore, to look unmoved, well aware that the best chance to escape impertinence is by not appearing to suspect that any is intended. Three strides now brought Sir Lyle before her. His amazement, vented by rattling exclamations, again perplexed Sir Jasper, for how could Juliet have been apprised of his intended visit, but by himself? Sir Lyle, mingling the most florid compliments upon her radiant beauty, and bright bloom, with his pleasure at her sight, said that, from the reports which had reached him, that she had given up her singing and her teaching, and that Sir Jasper had taken the room which she had inhabited, he had concluded that she had quitted Brighthelmstone. He It was going rapidly on in the same strain, the observant Sir Jasper intently watching her looks, while curiously listening to his every word, when Juliet, without seeming to have attended to a syllable, related, with grave brevity that she had unfortunately shut in the key of her room, and must therefore seek Miss Matson to demand another. And then, with steady steps, that studiously kept in order innumerable timid fears, she descended to the shop, leaving the two baronets mutually struck by her superior air and manner, and each, though equally desirous to follow her, involuntarily standing still, to wait the motions of the other, and thence to judge of his pretensions to her favour. Juliet found the shop empty, but the street-door open, and the shopman sauntering before it, to look at the passers-by. Glad to be, for a while at least, spared the distaste of his company, she shut herself into the little parlour, carefully drawing the curtain of the glass door. The two baronets, as she expected, soon descended the younger one eager to take leave of the elder, and privately remount the stairs, and Sir Jaspar, fixed to obey the injunctions, however unaccountable, of Juliet, in detaining and keeping sight of him to the last moment. "'Decamped! I swear the little vixen!' exclaimed Sir Lyle, striding in first. "'But why the d'l—do you come down, Sir Jasper? "'For exercise, not ceremony.' he answered, though little wanting further exertion, and heartily tired, he dropped down upon the first chair. Sir Lyle vainly offered his arm, and pressed to aid him back to his apartment. He would not move. After some time thus wasted, Sir Lyle, mortified and provoked, cast himself upon the counter, and whistled to disguise his ill-humour. A pause now ensued, which Sir Jasper broke, by hesitatingly, yet with earnestness, saying, Sir Lyle Sycamore, I am not you will do me the justice to believe a sour old fellow to delight in mischief, a surly old dog to mar the pleasures of which I cannot partake. If, therefore, to answer what I mean to ask will thwart any of your projects, leave me and my curiosity in the lurch. If not, you will sensibly gratify me by a little frank communication. I don't meddle with your affair with Flora, tis a blooming little wild rosebud, but of too common a species to be worth analyzing. This other young creature, however, whose wings your bird-lime seems also to have entangled." "'How so?' interrupted Sir Lyle, jumping eagerly from the counter. "'What the dill—do you mean by that?' "'Not to be indiscreet, I promise you,' answered Sir Jasper, "'but as I see the interest she takes in you—' The dull you do!" exclaimed Sir Lyle, in an accent of surprise, yet of transport. Sir Jasper now, ironically smiling, said, "'You don't know it, then, Sir Lyle. You are modest, diffident, unconscious.' "'My dear boy!' cried Sir Lyle riotously, and approaching familiarly, to embrace him. What a devilish kind office I should owe you if you can put any good notions into my head of that delicious girl! New doubts now destroying his recent suspicions, Sir Jaspar held back, positively refusing to clear up what had dropped from him, and laughingly saying, "'Far be it from me to put any such notions into your head. I believe it amply stored. All my desire is to get some out of it. If, therefore, you can tell me, or rather will tell me, who or what this young creature is, you will do a kind office to my imagination, for which I shall be really thankful.' Who is she, then, and what is she? "'Dill take me if I either know or care,' cried Sir Lyle. "'Further than that she is a beauty of the first water, and that I should have adored her exclusively three months ago if I had not believed her a thing of alabaster. But if you think her—' "'Not I, not I. I know nothing of her,' interrupted Sir Jaspar. "'She is a rose planted in the snow, for aught I can tell. The more I see, the less I understand.' The more I surmise, the further I seem from the mark. Honestly then, whence does she come? How did you first see her? What does she do at Brighthelmstone? May I get to old Nick, if I am better informed than yourself, except that she sings and plays like twenty angels, and that all the women are jealous of her, and won't suffer a word to be said to her. However, I made up to her at first, and should certainly have found her out, but for Melbury, who annoyed me with a long history of her virtue and character, and Lady Aurora's friendship, and the dill-knows-what, that made me so cursed sheepish, I was afraid of embarking in any measures of spirit. My sister also took lessons of her, and other games came into chase, and I should never have thought of her again, but that when I went to town, a week or two ago, i learned from that queen of the crabs mrs howell that Mulberry, in fact knows no more of her than we do he had nobody's word but her own for all her fine sentiments so that he and his platonics would have kept me at bay no longer if i had not believed her decamped from brighthelmstone upon hearing that you had got her lodging how came you to turn her into the garret my dear boy is that à la mode of your vieille cour? Sir Jasper protested that, when he took the apartment, he knew not of her existence, and then inquired whether Sir Lyle could tell him in what name she had been upon the stage, and why she had quitted it. "'The stage? Oh, the dell? he exclaimed. Has she been upon the stage?" "'Yes, I heard the fact mentioned to her the other day by a fellow-performer, some low player, who challenged her as the sister of the buskins.' What a glorious statira she must make!" cried Sir Lyle. "'I am ready to be her Alexander when she will. That hint you have dropped, my dear old boy, shan't be thrown away upon me. But how the dull did you find the dear charmer out!' Sir Jaspar again sought to draw back his information, but Sir Lyle swore that he would not so lightly be put aside from a view of success, now once it was fairly opened, and was vowing that he should begin a siege in form, and persevere to a surrender when the conversation was interrupted, by the entrance of the shopman, accompanied by a mantua-maker, who called upon some business. Juliet, who, from the beginning, had heard this discourse with the utmost uneasiness, and whom its conclusion had filled with indignant disgust, had no resource to avoid the yet greater evil of being joined by the interlocutors, but that of sitting motionless and unsuspected, till they should depart or till Miss Matson should return. But her care and precaution proved vain. The shopman invited Mrs. Hart, the mantua-maker, into the little parlour, and, upon opening the door, Juliet met their astonished view. Sir Jaspar, not without evident anxiety, endeavoured to recollect what had dropped from him that might hurt her, or how he might palliate what might have given her offence. But Sir Lyle, not at all disconcerted, and privately persuaded that half his difficulties were vanquished by the accident that acquainted her with his design, was advancing, eagerly, with a volley of rapid compliments, upon his good fortune in again meeting with her, when Juliet, not deigning to seem conscious even of his presence, passed him without notice, and addressing Mrs. Hart. Entreated that she would go upstairs to the room of Miss Pearson, to examine whether it were necessary to send for any advice, as she had returned home alone, and complained of being ill. Mrs. Hart complied, and Juliet followed her to Flora's door chamber. End of chapter forty six. Recording by Roxana Nazari.